Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, as always, we are grateful for your word, grateful that we have it in our language and can study it and continue to beg that you would send out your workers until every language can have your word, know it rightly, that they may worship you rightly. And yet, Father, having it in our language doesn't mean that we can grasp it, nor does it mean that we can live it. Matter of fact, uh, our text says today that those who serve can only do so in the strength that you provide. And so, Father, we pray now that you would incline our hearts toward your word, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things about you, to see your will for our lives. For too long, we've chosen to live for our own will, and the text says that the time has passed for that. It's been sufficient. It's also been wasted. Building our own kingdoms that will be shaken one day, pursuing fleshly desires. We pray that you would help us to arm ourselves with the mindset of Christ so that we'll be done with that and so that we can spend the time that remains for the end of all things is near. That we could spend the time that remains with gospel urgency. It says loving one another earnestly so that a multitude of sins are covered. That we would show hospitality to one another without grumbling or complaining about that. And above all, that we would use our gifts for the building up of the good, the body being built up in love. And that in all these things and for all time, that you would be glorified through Jesus. To you already below, belong dominion and glory. And so, Father, help that to be what we live for, your glory above our own. I pray as we come to this text now, you would help us. You would not just inform us, but you would transform us. And we pray not just for ourselves, but as your word goes forth in every pulpit in our city today, may your word be clear. May you use your word to call those who are dead to life, to those that are in sin, to repentance, to those that are discouraged, to persevere, to those who doubt, to full assurance, Christ is risen indeed. May Christ now be clear as we look at his word. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if it's your first Sunday with us, we've been walking through 1 Peter, and we are now in 1 Peter chapter 4. There's one more chapter in this book, and we will cover verses 1 through 11 today, and this is our practice. We walk through books of the Bible because nothing is better for God's people than what, church? God's Word. That's right. As you have notes, hopefully you received some notes as you came in the door, there are a couple questions that I've put at the top just asking, are these daily prayers in our lives? Um, They're listed there for you. The first one is, Father, help me to live for your glory than my own today. Father, please fuel my faith from your word so that I will not just fuel my flesh. Father, help me to count the needs of others as more important than my own. Father, help me to have gospel urgency today because everyone I see will stand before you one day and give an account. And Father, help me to steward all you entrust to me today for the good of others and for your glory. Are these the kinds of prayers that we're praying? I know that some of us are like, Father, just help us get the kids to school on time. And we're grateful when he answers. We pray prayers of, Father, help us just to make it to noon. But these are the kinds of prayers, and they're reflected from our text, that, that above all, his glory would matter to us, and that we would no longer feed the flesh and just pursue the desires of the flesh, but we would forsake that, and we would count the needs of others as more important than our own. And knowing that everyone you'll see for the rest of this day, and each day that God grants to you, they will one day stand before the Lord and give an account. And that's why the gospel was preached to you, is what Peter says in this text. So that those who have responded, though they die, they will live in the Spirit. And one day have resurrected bodies to live forever, dwelling with the Lord. And that we would steward gifts of His various grace well, that we would use these gifts in each other's lives. And so as always, we try to put the passage in the sentence for you, and and it should be there in your notes. But in the time God grants us, Let us not waste any moments on sin, but let us serve the Lord and each other so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So in the time that he grants, and we are one day closer to to, two events, either our own death or the return of Christ. We are one week closer than we were last week. Time is ticking down. These moments are fleeting. And so in the time he gives, we shouldn't waste any of them on sin, but we should strive to serve the Lord and each other so that in all these things, God receives the glory that he's due. Let me share with you some truths from this text. The first truth is this. Armed with the mind of Christ, let us forsake fleshly wants and live for our Father's will. Armed with the mind of Christ, that's the only way this will come about, is that we will forsake fleshly wants and live for our Father's will. He begins in verse 1 and says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Anytime we read these phrases, I hope that we won't move past them quickly. Christ suffered in the flesh. Just for a moment, considering Christ suffered. We saw that last week. We saw in verse 18 of chapter 3, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. We never want to be desensitized, not just to the fact that Christ suffered, but to the truth that Christ chose to suffer. And he chose to suffer by willingly leaving heaven. Had he remained in heaven, he would never know suffering. He would never have been exposed to it in the way that he was. 
but in a way that allows him to be a high priest like no other who can completely sympathize with our suffering because he knows it full well and he identifies with it. That our sufferings, though we would say we're sharing in his, he, he owns them to say these are mine. In his flesh, Christ forsook worldly passions for godly purposes and that should be the cry of our heart. Not our will, but your will above all. His flesh wasn't just something to feed, but it was something with which to be faithful. And that's, I just pray that both of those would be true of us, that we would forsake worldly passions for godly purposes, and that we would use our time in the flesh for faithfulness rather than foolishness. And he begins and he says, don't forget this, because he's, he's making a point, and this is the foundation of it, since therefore. So what he's saying is, is built off of what comes next, Christ suffered in the flesh. This is what we're to do then with it. The rest of the sentence. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. The word, the phrase arm yourselves is a military term for a warrior putting on his armor in preparation for battle. And so Peter doesn't want you to just remember the cross. He wants you to apply it and, and use it and make it as a model for life. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. When our minds are captivated by Christ, our bodies will be yielded for his purposes. When our minds are captivated by Christ, our bodies will be yielded for his purposes. Paul would write to Galatia and say that through Christ, the flesh has been crucified to us. Indeed, the world has been crucified. And so we are to think like Christ. So since Christ suffered, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking that we would think like Christ with regard to serving and suffering and, and obedience. Because, he says, for, here's that explanation, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So because Christ suffered in the flesh, we're to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. And when we do, we will stop chasing sin. We will stop wasting time on sin. We will stop pursuing sin. Suppose a woman's husband intervenes for her when a man who would only want to do her harm, seeking to destroy her and take her life, he intervenes, and in doing so, it costs him his life. What sense would it make for that woman, after the funeral of her husband, to then call up that man who would wound her and pursue a relationship with him as if he had her best interest at heart. It's what you and I do and what Peter is trying to show you is that Christ gave himself to deliver us from the sin which would destroy us. Why do we go back and live in it? Christ's suffering for our sin should move us to holy living. That's what he's pushing you to. Arm yourself with this mindset. Anytime in the moment of, well, I would say this. Anytime you find yourself in the moment of temptation, oh, if we would train ourselves to consider the phrase, this cost Christ his life. This cost Christ his life. Will we not flee from that sin and flee to our Savior, finding the mercy and grace that we need? And Peter is saying, arm yourself with this way of thinking so that you'll stop pursuing sin. Of what good is sin for your family? What benefit has sin brought in your own life? Are we willing to suffer if necessary to avoid or forsake sin? Are we suffering in the flesh? Or are we just serving the flesh? Which dominates our weeks? Suffering in or serving for? Do we suffer more for doing right or doing wrong? This whole book from First Peter is that if you suffer for doing right, 
That's rewarded and it's good. And so uh, we want our families and this faith family to be blessed by our obedience rather than burdened by our disobedience. And in saying so, it's always better to suffer for running from sin than running toward it. We want to be those who arm ourselves with a mindset like Christ. We think, well, how does that happen? Well, Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 3 tell us that as we, 2 Corinthians 3 says that as we see his glory, the Spirit uses that to transform us from glory to glory. And then Romans 12, that we're not conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, how is our mind renewed? The Holy Spirit uses his word in our lives to help us think like Christ. What he goes on to say is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what his will is, what's good and pleasing and acceptable. So the more you know his word, the more you'll know his will. The more you you know his word, the more you'll walk in his way, that you will be armed with the mindset of Christ. Following through with the decision to obey God, even when it will mean physical suffering, has a morally strengthening effect on our lives. It commits us more firmly than ever before to a pattern of action where obedience is even more important than our desire to avoid pain. Which is more important to you? Pursuing sin, and there's always pain that comes with that. You may just not see it instantly. Or avoiding pain because we're, we're done with it. We, we see and think like Christ. We are to forsake worldly passions to pursue godly purposes so why well he tells you he says that we've ceased in the flesh from sin verse 2 so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of god for the time that is past suffices for doing what the gentiles want to do living in sensuality passions drunkenness orgies drinking parties and lawless idolatry i've told you many times I don't know how much time I've spent on sin, but I know two things. It's been a lot, and it's all been wasted. It's all been wasted. There's not a a single benefit that I can look back to towards sin. And what Peter's writing, he says, arm yourself with the mind of Christ so that you'll put that away, because haven't you already spent enough time on sin? Hasn't sin dominated enough of your life? Think about in, in our world. Sin often robs us of sweeter moments we could be with our family. Sin robs us of relationships with others because we choose to indulge and engage in that. Sin is never beneficial for our lives. And Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and he said, you know better. Don't miss the the phrase here that Peter says that it's what the Gentiles do. And by Gentiles, he's not... He's not categorizing here Gentiles versus Jews. He means those who are not Christians. That's what he's saying. So those who are not Christ, this is what they do. They, they pursue their own will and cravings, and they gratify those cravings of the flesh. And what he writes to, first Thessal- to, the, Thessalon- to the Thessalonians is, you know better. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. Go back in First Peter. Go back to chapter 1 just for a moment. Verse 13, he's already told us some things about our minds and action. Here's what he says in verse 1, uh, verse 13 of chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former 
ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So he's already said it once in his letter. He's saying again that what was true of us should no longer be true of us because now we don't have excuses. How many of you ever had a mom or dad who said, you know better than that? How many of you as a mom or dad have used that phrase, you know better? How many of you, even as you've used it, you're not sure they really do know better, right? Sometimes I wonder, right? I think you know better, right? But it's debatable here. What Peter says is, you do know better. You know that sin isn't good for you. You know that sin will not advance the gospel. And you know that you have spent a sufficient time on it already. You are no longer ignorant, for you have the mind of Christ. You have his very spirit dwelling in you. And so what we want to do is to live in a way so that no one ever has to wonder or doubt whether we know God and are his children. If we're living in ways that cause them to doubt whether we know him or are his children, how grieving this is. So Peter begins, and he says, look, arm yourselves with the mind of Christ so that we will stop pursuing sin. And when you do this, you should know that when we share in his sufferings, there's going to be some reactions from folks. It says in verse 4, with respect to this, and what he means, when you stop joining them in their sin, he says, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. Man, that's a phrase to, to consider. And they malign you, but they will give account to him who's ready to judge the living and dead. So as we're willing to share in Christ's sufferings, we should expect surprise. They're going to want to know, why aren't you doing this anymore? What's changed? We did this for a long time together. This is how we used to be when you, when you go home for that high school reunion and you're no longer doing things perhaps that you did in high school. I hope the answer is Jesus. And I hope that you'll be quick with that answer. Why, why aren't you participating? And then when you give that answer, we have to be willing to endure slander. I've tried to tell you often that as we go to the nations with the gospel, not everyone is going to welcome us gladly. And sometimes living the Sermon on the Mount is countercultural inside the church and outside the church. And not all will, will welcome. And so they will malign you or slander you. And we have to be willing to endure that because we know they don't know better. We know better and we know what's coming. And what he says is they're going to give an account. So as we are willingly suffering for Christ, not choosing sin but forsaking sin, then let's expect surprise. And then let us endure whatever slanders there in the hopes that this last truth, that, that we would be able to evangelize souls because one day they're going to stand before him and no matter how awful they've been to us, they will perish without Christ. And unless we think that death rescues a person from judgment, Peter says here, they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Death is no escape for a sinner. For those in the book of Revelation that cry for rocks to fall on them so they can escape the wrath of the Lamb, they will never be able to escape the wrath of the Lamb. The only way to, to escape that is to flee to the Lamb and to seek Him and to, to repent before Him. What we know to be true is the evil deed that people do to us it may be forgotten by others. Sometimes we have the memory of Dory. And, and within our faith family, that would be great. I forgot what you did to me. I love you. 
I forgot what you did to me again. I love you. I forgot that you did that four minutes to me again. All right, I love you. That we would have a short memory there. But you need to know that the evil deed may long be forgotten by men. And repentance may never be carried through for, and that may be forgotten by men. And death may come after a long and comfortable life of sin. But then comes judgment from an all-remembering God. And so we should be gripped with gospel urgency and endure whatever we need to for the sake of the gospel to advance even to those who wound us most. For the gospel frees us not to treat people as they've treated us, but to treat them as Christ has treated us, right? And so we, we want to arm ourselves with the mindset of Christ. We've spent enough time on sin. Whatever it takes to avoid sin, let us do so. And then whatever doors it opens to be able to share, why aren't you doing that anymore? May we be quick and ready to give a word of the hope that we have, that we're ready to share about what Jesus has done. The second truth from this text is, in the brief time that remains, let us serve the Lord by doing several things that we'll see here in our text. It says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Now some would say, well, it's been at hand for a while, brother. Matter of fact, Peter's going to say, look, some are going to be scoffing even more because this day drags out. But as we know, the Lord has his own timing for all things. And as far as the kingdom and his overall salvation plan, the end of all things is near. It is at hand. And because of that truth, there's to be an impact upon us. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And so just as we're to arm ourselves because we've spent enough time on sin. Now, in the brief time that remains, here's how we maximize that life. And it begins by being self-controlled and sober-minded. Ultimately, he says, for the sake of your prayers. Don't do anything that would dilute your prayers. And we've already seen in First Peter 3, the way a husband relates to a wife can impact those prayers. And so there are other aspects, especially our pursuit of sin, that can make our prayers slothful and selfish. Paul, uh, Peter is writing here, obviously, to point out God is glorified by our dependence on him. Prayer is a, a reminder and acknowledgement of our lack of sufficiency in ourself and our need for God. And so we don't want to be those like Peter who are sleeping while Jesus is saying, be praying, be alert. In Colossians 4, Paul writes and he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And so... One of the ways that we are to spend these last days is making sure that we can pray appropriately and effectively. And that's impacted by our relationships with each other, our relationship with the Lord, and our pursuits, whether we're pursuing faithfulness or fleshliness. The second way that we can maximize these few days that we have is to serve one another. And there's some particular ways that he wants us to serve one another as we serve him. The first one is to keep loving one another earnestly. The word there, earnestly or fervently, is used of an athlete stretching and straining every muscle toward the end of the race. We sat yesterday at the state swim meet uh, here in Tupelo and watched those swimmers swim. And it, it's amazing to me. Years, 
uh, ultimately of training that go into minutes of competition and swimming and seconds and tens of seconds and hundreds of seconds and thousands of seconds that make differences in these things. But there was fervency of stretching out, fervency of uh, straining with all that they had to compete. And, and, and Peter is saying, your love should be this fervent as well. And so that it's not just feeling, like I feel sweet toward you, that love is often more about sweat than sweet, right? That we, we put our love into action and it's demonstrated in sacrificial care for one another. And then he tells you a word here, hey, keep fervently sacrificing for each other, not easy, not just what, what's easy for you to do, but to, to stretch. And then he says, because Love covers a multitude of sins. How many of you found it easier to love people who don't sin against you? All right? But loving people who sin against us, I don't know who of us immediately says, I'd love to do that. I take great joy in absorbing your rudeness to me, right? Biblical love, though, is extended to even those who wrong us, even those who who sin. And, And so we are not to add fire to the fuel. Peter's actually quoting from Proverbs here. And in that context, love is contrasted with hatred and hatred stirs up strife. We're, we're to put a fire on those. Uh, we're to put a blanket. We're to cover that so that it's not fueling a fire, holding a grudge, retaliating. Why? Because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 that love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That this is what love looks like. Wayne Grudem has written to say, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some larger ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion, every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. I would say, too, that as we're told here that love covers a multitude of sin, it doesn't mean that love condones that sin. And sometimes love confronts sin. And so we need to know, when do we need to cover and when do we confront? And, and discerning the difference between that involves several things. First of which is, is this just immaturity in the part of this believer or is it flat out disobedience? If it's flat out disobedience, that needs to be confronted and dealt with. If it's immaturity, then we want to come alongside and help disciple. Uh, we cover whatever offenses we can but if it's hindering that relationship, then we definitely want to confront. Sometimes we absorb, 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 explode, right? Absorb, 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 explode. And then we explode on the tiny thing because we didn't express along the way the frustrations that we had. And, and so the intent here isn't just cover over wrongs until you can't do it anymore. The reality is you'll never be able to do it from the beginning without Christ. The only reason we can cover wrongs is because he's covered all of our wrongs. But we need to, to be able to do it be impacting our relationship. We need to address it. And you can address it even as a covering rather than just a condemning. Do you have an adequate relationship with this person to confront them versus to cover? It may be that more than anything, you need to spend more time with them to get to know them better, to be able to come alongside, to earn the right to confront them. Bottom line, keep fervently loving one another, covering over rudeness, sin, wounding, because ours have all been covered. 
Second, the second way we show love to one another or serve one another is showing hospitality to one another. I love that he writes uh, without grumbling, right? We're never guilty of that. We'll host a life group. Yeah, we can have that church party at our house. Right? So here's why we should be the most cheerful host. Because God is not grumpy about inviting you to dwell with him forever. God is not begrudgingly like, oh, let these people in, right? He is happy and joyful in doing that, and we should be happy and joyful and hospitable as well. The other reason is few people are blessed by you telling them what a burden they are. I'm so happy you're here. It's killing me, you know? I did all of these things to get ready for you. Welcome, right? Everyone's like, I'm so glad to be here, right? As we've considered in the past, hospitality is focused on those you're serving. Entertaining is focused on you. Will they like my house? Will they like what I've prepared? That's, that's entertaining. Hospitality is how can I serve them? If it's paper plates and PB&J, do it to the glory of God. And let us do so joyfully because God has joyfully brought us into his home. We should be the most hospitable and as we're reminded that even for those we don't know, even entertaining strangers if necessary, and in doing so, some have entertained angels, as the author of Hebrews says. Third truth here, use our gifts to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This is the third way we can demonstrate this love for each other. He says, as each, in verse 10, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I want us to think about several truths about just spiritual gifts for a moment. Our gifts are not for our own advancement, but for the advancement of the gospel above all. And I love seeing people who, who have certain gifts and they use it just for their own promotion. Uh, Christ may be a blurb in some of that. And some of that you see more in the professional ministry aspects. But... Uh, uh, <laughs> I've always loved, uh, one time we were in New Orleans and in the paper, they were having a healing service somewhere and the healing service was at four, but you had to come for your healing instructions at two. And uh, I just got to, I so wanted to go at two just to see what would happen. I was like, man, that's just like acts, you know? Peter's like, hey, let me tell you how I'm going to heal you and then I'll come back two hours later and do it, right? You fall at this point when I just fan. Anyway, so... uh, Gifts are not for our own advancement, but for the advancement of the gospel. We do not use our gifts for our own gain, but so that all might gain. That's what he he says here, that each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another uh, so that there might be mutual benefit. And here, don't miss this. Each person has received a gift. I want you to repeat after me. If I'm in Christ, I've received a gift to be used. For the good of others and the glory of God. I get you to repeat it, but it was really long. So I'll repeat it. If we are in Christ, each one of us has a gift that is to be used for the good of others and the the glory of God. Each one has received a gift, not just the the folks that are up here on the stage on Sunday. That's why we tell you all the time why we want every member to be in a life group, because very few spiritual gifts are used in this room on a Sunday. 
We use our gifts as we do life together, as we go outside of this room. We use our gifts most. And so don't miss this. Don't miss the word steward there in verse 10. Each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards. We are stewards of God's varied grace. So think about the word steward just for a moment. God has entrusted something to you that ultimately is his, but he's entrusting this gift to you so that one day you will give an account for how you used or did not use that gift. We've seen that picture in the parable of the talents that that Jesus gave. We don't want to be the one who buries that gift. I didn't mess it up. We want to be the one that God uses it to multiply his kingdom with. And so we are all stewards. These gifts are gifts of grace. He doesn't have to give us this. These These are gifts of his grace to us and for us. He sovereignly distributes gifts. So have you been upset that, that your gift isn't what someone else's gift is? God makes no mistakes when he gives those gifts. He does it according to his wisdom and what's best for each of us. And lastly, diversity in the gifts is meant for our dependence. Diversity in the gifts is meant for our dependence. That's why the people who would say, I'm cool with Jesus, but I'm not cool with church, you're missing why we all have spiritual gifts. This is why none of us have every spiritual gift, because we need each other. And I admit, it is hard to use your gift in the lives of people who are awful and sin against you. That's why he says, love covers a multitude of sins, so that we will still gladly and joyfully use our gifts in each other's lives, because we've absorbed that and we've forgiven. And so we use these. It's meant to cause dependence toward each other, and so that we would be steward. Well, how do I figure out my gift? We've talked about this before as well. There are three easy ways to figure out your gift. Number one, what brings you great joy as you do it? Is it serving in a particular way? Is it teaching in a particular way? Is it giving in a particular way? Because believe it or not, God doesn't want Christian service to all be miserable, right? Despite what some of you have seen on faces of people around you your whole life, Christian service isn't all about misery. It's about joy, right? And so that when we use this gift, there's joy Second, when we use this gift, people are helped in Jesus, right? So the whole point is not just that we would be praised, but somehow we're helping them grow in Jesus, look to Jesus, go with Jesus. So this gift is helping them. Listen, if you think your gift is singing, but again, people listen like this. As you use your gift, your gift may not be singing. And no one is helped in Jesus except they're all praying for you to quit expressing whatever that is that's not a gift, right? If your gift is teaching and afterward people love the Book of Mormon, your gift is not teaching. And so people are to be helped in Jesus when we use our gifts. So we each have a gift. There's joy when we use it and people are actually helped in Jesus. And then third, there's affirmation. People are affirming this gift. They are saying, man, when you use this gift, here's how I saw it work in someone else's life. Here's how it worked in my life. Thank you for expressing this gift. Because in the end, he goes on to say, Whoever speaks, we don't speak for ourselves. We speak as the ones who have the oracles of God. That means that we give them the word. We give them the word. We don't ever want to be those who lead people away from the word because we think we have something better to say to them. As we speak, we speak the word. As we serve, we serve by the strength that God supplies. And I love that phrase, by the strength that God supplies, because God has never intended for us to rely on our own resources for anything. He knows we can't. Matter of fact, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So he provides all the strength we need to serve. Stephen Cole has said, a local church 
will be healthy only to the extent that every member conscientiously exercises his or her gifts as stewards before God. So we spend enough time on sin and the time that remains, we maximize it by serving the Lord, by serving each other, by being self-controlled, sober-minded so that our prayers aren't diluted or divided and that we're gladly welcoming each other into each other's lives and homes, using our gifts and loving fervently and sacrificially, even covering a multitude of sins. Why would we do all of this? Look at the very last phrases in our text today, the very last phrases in verse 11. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why do we do the first two truths that are on your outline? It's because the last truth, at all times and in all ways, we're to live for the glory of God. He is worthy of this. We're to do all of this so that in everything, not just in some things, not just in the easy things, but in everything, God would be glorified through Jesus. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod, that has this idea of of weightiness, that there's a substance to this. In the New Testament, we think a lot of doxology and praise and doxa that means to seem or think reputation or honor that there's a a worthiness there's an inherent worth in God we have to ascribe worth to everything that we pursue with sin it has no worth to it we give it worth by pursuing it God however has inherent worth how do we know that he says To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. He is worthy of every sacrifice. He is worthy of whatever we would do to serve him. And what does it mean then to to glorify him? It means to live in such a way that people see his excellencies and his greatness. I've been amazed that sometimes on the screensaver on our TV at home, so if it's paused and we're having a conversation, there's a screensaver that comes up, and besides the announcements about sports scores, uh, there are these incredible pictures. And when I look at the, these pictures, uh, my first thought is, man, that's beautiful. And I don't mean the picture. I mean the place. I look at that, and I see it, and I gotta be honest. My first thought is not, who took that picture? They have great skills, right? I look at that creation, and, and the photographer has served me well, because now I'm moved to worship because look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. And when we are living for God's glory, the reality is we're the photographers that they may not think much of, but they look at our lives and they see his excellencies and they say, look at that creation. Look at that creator who has done this and brought it about. That's what it means to live for his glory, that we live in, we live in a way that people can see God for who he is. They see his greatness and his goodness. And as we think about time, there's a word time that's repeated in this passage. So for the rest of time, for the time that is past in verse 3, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. So this brief time and then forever and ever is the next to last phrase in this verse. As we think about time at all times and for all time, God is worthy of every sacrifice and every service that we would do. And so 
May we live our lives that we make much of Jesus. And that won't happen if we're making much of sin. It won't happen if we're selfish and we want to serve only our own needs and kingdoms. We don't want to give for the purposes of others. We don't want to yield our lives. So let me give you some concluding thoughts and then some calls to response. First of all, the end of all things is near. Arm yourself with the mindset of Christ. Every day, that will keep you from wasting that day. Every night, from wasting that night. Stop wasting resources you've been called to steward, such as time or energy or even money or anything else, on sin. Stop wasting those resources on, on sin. They're never coming back. I think about it. You know, I flew this past week and was, I was at Wake Forest. One of my doctoral students defended his doctoral work on Monday. And my plane uh, was, was not too late. I moved back. There were four hours that I was in the airport. And uh, I was thinking about how life just ticks down. And these four hours will never come again. So how can we maximize these four hours at an airport in Raleigh for the glory of God? So that they're not just wasted sitting finding ways, whether it's through conversations, whether it's through prayer, whether it's uh, if it's in the word, finding a way to maximize because they're not coming again. And so stop wasting precious resources such as time and energy on sin. Stop serving self more than you serve our Savior and others. Start sharing the gospel with all you know because soon they will give an account to Jesus. Let me say again, when you leave this place today, everyone you see and everyone in here, but everyone you see for the rest of today and the rest of this week they will all give an account to God one day may we be gripped with gospel urgency because the gospel is the only life giving message there is to whom else will we go you alone have words of life Jesus and so we need to go forth with those words of life keep loving one another fervently and sacrificially keep welcoming one another into each other's lives and homes without complaint and keep using your spiritual gift or gifts for the good of this faith family and the glory of God. A couple then calls to response today. If you've never yielded your life to Christ, we beg you to repent and believe today. That today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day that while you can repent and turn, that you would and look to Jesus. Myself and all of our elders would be willing to walk you through what that looks like. If you're here today and you keep pursuing a particular sin or sins, would you repent of that and beg God for the grace to resist? Perhaps you need intentional accountability, sharing with an accountability partner, putting things in place that would not make pursuing that sin so easy. I call it blowing up the bridges and not putting Twinkies in your pantry. Whatever it takes to put away those sin that for whatever reason keeps drawing you to that. If you are facing ridicule because of your stand for righteousness, then ask the Lord to help you joyfully persevere. To joyfully persevere. If you only want to be served here rather than serve the Lord and others, then I beg you today, I'm calling you to repent of selfishness. If our mindset of church is only what I get from it, rather than what I can give, we would repent of our selfishness. If our serving others is full of complaining and moaning, that we would ask the Lord to help us repent and to empower joyful sacrifice. And the last two, if you're not using your spiritual gifts to help anyone else grow in Jesus, repent from that and start stewarding well what God has entrusted to you. And then if you have been living so that in all things and in all ways, you can be glorified, 
I beg you to repent and live for the only one to whom belongs eternal dominion and glory. For your kingdom, there will come a swift end. But to his kingdom, there will be no end. And only one will matter for which we've lived. Let me pray for us. Encourage you. You may not be able to stand and sing. You may need to pray and repent and sit and kneel. That is all welcome. Any of our elders willing to pray with you this morning in response to this text. Father, we thank you for today and thank you for the opportunity to walk through your word. And we pray that since Christ suffered in the flesh, that you would help us to arm ourselves with this same mindset so that we will be done with sin. We will cease and that we will no longer just serve our own will, but for your will. For the time that's passed has sufficed on sin. We have we've spent enough time there. And we're not like those who don't know you anymore. We do know you and we know better. And we pray, Father, that it would be evident that we are yours. We know you and we are your children. And so when we start living a life that's different, may we expect others to be surprised and have questions. And hopefully, Lord, you would use that for the advancement of the gospel in their lives. But perhaps they will slander us in the process. They will malign us. Help us be willing to absorb that in hopes that we could continue to present the gospel to them because one day they won't stand before us. They will stand before you. And this is why the gospel was given so that those who are dead may now live in the spirit. Father, we understand the end of all things is near. Indeed, the author of Hebrews says that in these last days you have spoken to us clearest through Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. I pray that you would help us to love one another fervently, covering a multitude of sins. That we would show hospitality without complaining. And that we would be good stewards, using our gifts to serve one another, good stewards of the varied grace that you give. So as we speak, that we speak your word, not our word. The world does not need to know our opinion or preferences. They need to know your precepts. And so may we speak your word. And if we serve, let it be clear that we do so with the strength that you provide. Thank you, God. That you don't just sit on the throne and say good luck. But you empower all that you expect from us. And that in all these things, you would be glorified through Jesus. Because to you belong dominion and glory. And it will always belong to you. So, Father, I pray that where our lives don't currently line up with this text, we pray for the grace to repent. We pray for your transforming work in our life, for us to be able to live what we see here in 1 through 11 from 1 Peter 4. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response today. <clears throat>